Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. We thank you that you've got great Bible teachers out there that are teaching us. We thank you, Lord, for the Bible because we know that every time we open it, you're speaking to us. So as we dig into this parable today, you, we just pray that you uh, allow us to see it with fresh eyes. Allow it to see it anew so that you can continue to teach us and, and show us the things that we need to learn. And we give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as you remember, when we, when we started a couple weeks ago, and we got into Luke 15. I said, now here's the thing with Luke 15. Um, you have to understand the context. We talk about context all the time. And there are three parables in Luke 15. We can describe them as the, <laughs> as the lost sheep, 99 and 1, the lost coin. And then third one is the prodigal son. But keeping the alliteration, it would be the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. So you would see that. So these three parables are intentionally grouped by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does, is he puts this together for us so that we can learn things. And the context is key. And if you remember, the context we said for the last two parables will be the same context we have for this parable as well. And that's found at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, before our reading today. And it says this, it says, Then... All of the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Now, that's Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners. These are not the people that typically are going to church. These are the people that need to go to church. These are the people that typically aren't listening to the Pharisees. These are the people that need to learn the law of God. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, Jesus, spoke this parable to them. And then he tells us these three parables. So Jesus is responding to the criticism of these religious people, saying that Jesus is, is going too low, that he's reaching out to people that are undesirable, that don't deserve. And Jesus, all through his ministry, proved them wrong. Jesus was the friend of sinners. Jesus was the one that was willing to touch the leper. He was the one that was willing to, to sit down with the the women that had a shady past. He was willing to, to forgive those. And he said, remember, he said, it's not, it's not to the righteous that I've come, but to the people that are in need of repentance. The people that need repentance are the people that Jesus came to. And I'm so glad, because I was one that needed to, to repent. I, <laughs> for those of you that knew my mom, she could tell you stories. There were a lot, a lot of things I needed to repent of in my life, you know? Um, so so I'm, I'm glad that Jesus came to seek and save those that are lost. Um, he's not just a religious person, he's, he's the savior. He's the one that came to save us. So let's go ahead and take a look at this parable. This is a long parable. So we're gonna break it up into two pieces. We're gonna break it up into this first part. There's actually like three pieces to the parable, but there's a, there's a part where we talk about the prodigal son, the, the this, this, this son that, that takes his inheritance and goes squandering it. Then we have a little bit of story about the father. We see the father. And then we also have, remember, there's another brother. Another brother that's a little resentful that the younger son, the prodigal son, got much more than, than he probably deserved. So let's go ahead and read. This is Luke 15, starting in verse 11. It says, Then he said, 
This is Jesus. A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a, the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to him, to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, one, make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robes and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this is my, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now, it goes on. In fact, one of you have the second page. Looks like you do, Helen. That's the second page. It goes on, and we'll finish that up to, uh, the next week. Uh, we'll finish it. But I wanted, like I said, I wanted to break this into two pieces, because it's a, it's a longer parable. And even though all three of these parables are in the same context, um, this one is a little different. I mean, don't, don't you think? This is a little different than the lost coin and the, the lost sheep, the 99 and 1. It's, it's, it's different. Yeah, it's, it's about people, right? We're not talking about a coin anymore. We're not, talking, we're not taking a coin and, and attributing human factors to this coin, relationship with the coin, same with the sheep, even though we identify probably more with the sheep than the coin. Um, but this is, this, is a, this is his father with, with two sons. So we can relate to that. Even if you only have two sons, or you're not in a family, it's just you and your brother, um, you can relate. You, you can understand what this is like. And there's a lot, of, a lot of things that go into the idea of inheritance and the Jewish traditions of splitting the inheritance that we're going to talk about as well. But there's a, there's a, few, there's a few things that, um, that, that are a little bit different in here. One is, if you remember on the first two, we said that neither the sheep nor the coin did any of the looking, right? The sheep was lost and probably didn't even know it was lost. It was kind of mind. They're doing what sheep do, just out in the pasture, just kind of walking around, bumping into things. You know, probably didn't even realize that it was lost. And the same thing with the coin. The coin's an inanimate object. It's just lot, nobody, coin can't find itself or do any effort to make itself found. Now, this is different. Because even though when we're going to spend some time talking about the son and his decision to, to go away, <clears throat> he comes to his senses, it says. He kind of comes to his senses, and he makes an effort to, to return to the father. And I like that, because here's the thing. There's a number of stories in the Bible about sinners coming to the Lord, or people that don't know Jesus coming to Jesus. And what I like about it is that Many, many times, it's a, it's a different methodology. It's a different methodology. Jesus doesn't do the same thing every time. 
And it's a great lesson to those of us in the church, especially people that are pastors or teachers. We have to remember that people don't come to the Lord the same way all the time. Just because it worked for you that way doesn't mean it works for somebody else. You know, traditionally in churches, we expect people to kind of want to be converted. You know, they, they, they need to be attentive. They, they need to be attentive. And then uh, pastors will remind them that they're a sinner. Um, now, it's changed a little bit, but, you know, there was a lot of fire and brimstone pastors, preachers in the past. You may have remembered some of those. Maybe as you were growing up, maybe your church had a fire and brimstone preacher that put the fear of God in you when they, when they preached. They, they, they showed you how you were a sinner and that sinners go to hell, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're going straight there, my son, you know, so you need to, what, repent. You need to repent, you need to be able to confess your sins, you need to be able to change your ways, and as a result, then, maybe then, the Lord will be gracious to you, forgive you of your sins, but then you remember you need to stay on the, the straight and narrow. So that's, that's a methodology. Well, there's a seat over there too. The, the question that's being asked is this, is that um, when this prodigal son went on the journey back to his father, when he realized he was hungry, did his heart charts changing them, that he wanted to repent? What was, what was going on? And that's a great question. Most teachers believe that what motivated him was the famine, the hunger. He was, he was out of money. Had he, had he found a good, better job, or had he found uh, that, his, that his money that he had went a little further, he may never have returned to his father, but it was the, it was the hunger in his belly that was, that was, uh, that was motivating him. So that's a great point, Niall. But remember what, as I said, is that I like this because it shows us a methodology, a methodology, and it gives us the, the opportunity to talk about methodologies because you've got to be careful of methodologies. Just because A plus B equals C in one instance in the Bible doesn't mean that if you do A and B, you'll end up with the same C result. It's, it's always different. Um, people that have done studies on the miracles of Jesus, in fact, we ought to do that sometime. We'll kind of go through the miracles of Jesus, kind of take a look at them. You'll see that they're almost always different. Jesus intentionally, uh, it seems like, didn't do the same thing twice. Um, he, um, he, he doesn't have the, the opportunity to be able to, to, to say A plus B is always going to equal C. In fact, there's a book that I read that was really good. It said, and the book was called, Here's Mud in Your Eye. <laughs> and it's because there's a story of a blind man that came to Jesus. And what Jesus did is he made mud and smeared the mud in, in the man's eye. And I've never been to a church service, a healing service, where they put mud in my eyes. Have you ever seen that? Hell, I haven't seen that either. That would be unusual. That's, a, <laughs> that's the idea of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of a methodology. So again, the methodology often that we almost encourage and we see is this idea of sin followed by repentance followed by forgiveness or recovery. Sin, then repentance, then recovery. We see this, this process. And like I said, um, this story doesn't follow that exactly. And often, quite frankly, I've seen uh, the opposite. I I've, seen, I've seen people come to, to Jesus all different kinds of ways, all different kinds of ways. One of the things that, that I, I, I teach against is this idea that you have to 
to fully be sorry, recognize all of your sins, and, and be sorry for all of those sins in order for forgiveness to come. And, and here's, here's the issue from a practical matter. Until you get into the Bible and until the Holy Spirit starts teaching you, you don't even know what sin really is. I mean, you might know some of the big ones, you know, but you don't know some of the little ones. I'm still learning myself. I've been a pastor for 20 years, and I'm still learning myself. Just yesterday, my wife was watching a, a program on TV. She loves watching Bible programs on TV, and there's always something to learn. Can't take everything exactly what they say, because sometimes you don't know where they're coming from, but there's always something to learn from it. And we, we were listening to pa Pastor Robert, and he was talking about the idea of having Sabbath. And, and she called me over, and I know why she called me over. It's because she knows that I have a tendency to, to work seven days a week, repeated by another seven days, repeated by another seven days, repeated by another seven days. And, and even when I was with Ford Motor Company, what Carol loved taking me places where I didn't have internet and didn't have any reception on my cell phone. And she did that intentionally in order to try to get me to slow down. So that's just a, that's a teaching again. So how would you even know if you're a Gentile and you're not familiar with Jewish law that somehow there's, there's prohibitions about just burning the candle at both ends, as we say, that, that God worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested, and that's a pattern for our lives as well. And that if we violate that, you know, we're going to find, we're going to be in trouble, right? We're going to be in trouble. It isn't, it isn't so much a sin as it is a consequence, right? A consequence. Sins have consequences. This might be a consequence before it's even a sin. So again, we talked about the first two stories, the sheep and the coin, were like this. Jesus, this was all response to the same context, but they were a little bit different. So, so let's just talk about the, the story. We'll kind of take a couple verses at a time and see what happens. It says this. It says, um... A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now, we can stop there. This is unheard of. This is, for people that are cued into this idea of inheritance and our understanding of inheritance, this would be unseemly, unseemly, for one of the sons to go to the father and says, you know, I wish you were dead. But since you're not dead, no, I wish you were dead. But since you're, but since you're not dead, why don't you go ahead and give me my portion now? Why don't you just give me my portion now? You see, in, in Jewish law, in Hebrew law, um, land was very important. Land, and that was very important. It was for the sustenance of the family. And the family would be able to continue. So the idea was often the, the oldest son either got all or got a double portion. That was, we can find both of that in the, in the scriptures, that the oldest son got all or at least a double portion. And it was to continue. Most of the, most of the business and the economics in the time that this was written was had to do with agriculture. Agriculture was the driving force of the world economy up until the Industrial Revolution. Uh, less than 200 years ago. So it was all about agriculture. So the idea of, of land and your inheritance was very, very important. I mean, you might have farmed the land the entire, the entire, you know, your entire life and got it from your father, but when you die, you hope that one of your sons takes over the land and be able to continue the land because that's the source of, of wealth. That's the source of sustenance. So, so this, this, this 
young, younger son comes to the father and basically says, I wish you were dead, but since you aren't, why don't you just give me mine? Now, what's interesting is it's followed by even a bigger shocker because the father does it. The father does it. It says, so he divided to them his livelihood. His livelihood. Now, we're assuming that maybe there's something that the father can still live on. That he still has some property. We're going to see later that he has a fatted calf and he has sheep and stuff like that. So somehow the father was able to take the money portion of the estate. Maybe he sold some sheep or some livestock or a portion of his land and was able to give that to the younger son. And then it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possession with prodigal living. And Helen mentioned earlier, what, what's prodigal? And, and that's a great question, because for most of us that are a little familiar with the Bible, but we don't use that word, when we think of prodigal, we think of the prodigal son. And of course, the big story with the, the big, I mean, the, the, the punchline with the prodigal son is that he comes back, right? He comes back after spending, you know, some time and all of his money on, on wanton living. So we think of prodigal as somebody that comes back, but that's not what the meaning of prodigal is. A meaning of prodigal is somebody that is wasting, okay? That it, it's licentiousness, it's, it's hedonistic. He's, it's all about doing everything he can for his own pleasures, just, just, just doing that. You know, like they say like spending like a, a, a sailor on leave, right? I mean, just, just spending all the money, not saving anything for, for the future. Uh, not even being very careful about how they spend the money or where they spend their time or who they spend their time with. That's a, that's a, that's a prodigal. So it says that not many days after. So we're guessing what it's saying here is that this is kind of his intention. His intention wasn't to make sure that he got his, his inheritance and, and kept it and continued to work with his father. His intention all the time, he already had his bus ticket. Okay, he, he was already ready to go. He already had a destination in mind. Um, he wanted to go and visit the, the big city. He wanted to get to Vegas. You know, he, wanted, he wanted to go places and meet people and do things that he hadn't been able to do. And he says, um, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And the idea of wasting is important. I mean, here's the thing. The Bible says that it's the love of money that's the, the root of all evil, right? It's the love. It's not money itself. You see, my, I, I don't know about you, but I have found money to be very, very useful. Yes. Haven't you? I mean, I have found, you get what you, I mean, I have found money to be very, very useful. And I'm, I am very fortunate because I am married to a woman who has learned how to make sure that her husband doesn't waste his money, okay? So as a result, for example, um, we are on a budget, okay? Now, what's, what's interesting about that is I actually teach finance classes. I mean, I, I teach people in churches about getting out of debt and being on a budget. And what I find, especially the people that come to classes, is that almost nobody understands what a budget is. I mean, I mean, it's almost like living in Washington, D.C. and learning from the Congress, okay? Because they set budgets and they don't care what a budget is. They just spend money crazy. This is just crazy. I mean, every year the Congress is appropriating, you know, bills to be able to cover debt because they spent much more than their budget. 
But a budget is not like that. A budget identifies where you're going to spend your money. It's, and that's the opposite, by the way. Exactly, how much you're going to spend, and then when you run out of money, you run out of money. I got to tell you, the true story is that we had done this for a number of years. I think I told you the story before that I felt like I was called to be a pastor many, many years before it actually happened. And I remember going to my, to my pastor and saying, I, I really like to teach the Bible. I mean, I really feel that God's given me a, a gift of teaching. Maybe you'll disagree. But anyway, he, he, I, I felt that he, he gave me a gift of teaching, and I wanted to be able to teach. I wanted to be able to to use the knowledge I had and be able to share it with others. And the pastor looked at me, kind of had a smile, and he said, don't you work in the treasurer's office at Ford Motor Company? And I said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, but someday I want to be pastor. And he said, well, but you know, all your training is in finance and treasury. Why don't you help people get out of debt? So I started doing that. This was literally 40 years ago. We started teaching some classes and helping people. And my wife and I did it together. And of course, she learned too much <laughs> because she thought, because I said it, we had to do it. Don't you hate that? You hate that when the words come right back at you, right? So I can tell you that in, in our, in our non-wasted living, because of my wonderful wife, we had a budget. And a budget was not like the, the budget they have in Washington, D.C., which meant that that's how much we spent. And if we didn't have the money in the budget, we didn't do it. We didn't spend it. We have a good wife. We have a, I have a very good wife. I have a very good wife. And one of the ways that Dave Ramsey, I don't know if you know who Dave Ramsey is. He's on the radio. He's on TV. He's, a, he's an amazing man. Um, one of the things that he teaches for people, one of the methods, is what's called the envelope system. Have you ever heard of the envelope system? The envelope system is this, is that all of the money that you're going to spend, other than maybe your mortgage payment or a car payment or something like that, that you would send a check to, you, you, you take your paycheck and you put it, cash it, and then you put it in envelopes for certain things. So for example, let's just, just say, let's say your budget a week for groceries is $80, just say. So you would, and you had two weeks, you'd put $160 in your envelope and you take it to the grocery store. And when you went to the grocery store, when you spent the money, you didn't eat anymore. That was easy, okay? It's an easy way to budget money because if it's not in the envelope, you don't get to, get, you don't get to do it. And I got to tell you that I worked at Ford for over 20 years. The highest I ever got at Ford, at the, at the pinnacle of my career, meaning I was making more money than, quite frankly, I ever thought I was going to make, we had an envelope system. We had an envelope system, and it didn't cover everything, okay? But, you know, there were certain things, certain savings and things like that that was just a lot easier to make the transfer or write the check. But for the regular walking around money that I would have, that would have lunches, <laughs> including our groceries, including the newspaper boy, including the person that took the trash out, including all of those things that we had to pay, my wife had an envelope. She had an envelope for it. And if somebody came to the door knocking, you know, and I needed to get some money, I had to go find the envelope. Now, I, I was really good at borrowing against other envelopes. <laughs> I, I was good at that. But I, but I bring this up because this prodigal is doing the opposite of it. And the best way to understand what a prodigal is is exactly that. He's, he's wasting his money. He's not, he's not looking for sales. He's, he's spending it on things he shouldn't be spending it on. Um, it just is going through his fingers like water, okay? just, just slipping right through it. And it doesn't take too much longer. And it says what happens then. He says, but when he had spent it all, 
there arose a severe famine in the land. Okay? Now, we probably don't understand famines. We understand the dictionary definition of what a famine is, but we've probably never, maybe some of you have, you've never really lived through a famine. The last famine in the country that we had was back in the 1920s. Started out in the West with the Dust Bowl. And you had agriculture of people that had depended on agriculture and had these beautiful farms in Kansas and Oklahoma and in Utah and different places, beautiful farms with trees and orchards and crops. And then all of a sudden, the dust came in and there was no rain. And the, the little bit that they had just wasted away. And the cattle died because they had nothing to drink. And the people died. It was a famine. Well, the Jewish people lived through famines. It seemed like every seven to ten years there was a famine in the land. If you remember your Bible stories, the reason that, that Jacob's family got to Israel because there was a famine in the land. Joseph had gone into Egypt, was sold into slavery. But Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He interpreted Pharaoh's dream and said, here's your dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. So don't waste your money, Pharaoh. Take the seven years, okay, and store up enough provisions so that when there's a famine that hits, we'll be able to have enough and be able to provide for the people. That's the opposite of what this prodigal did because famines do come through the land. It happens. Economy drops down. All of a sudden, we know that today. I mean, most of us, you know, we've, we've lived through a couple of recessions in our life, you know. At Ford Motor Company, when the country had a recession, Detroit had a depression. You know, you know what the difference between a recession and a depression is, by the way? Something happened to you. That's right. Recession happened to somebody else. Recession is when you're, exactly right, Hal. A recession is when your neighbor's laid off. A depression is when you're laid off, right? That's the difference. Well, this, this, this prodigal son had wasted all of his money, had nothing left over, and when a famine hit the land, there's no jobs. I mean, it's, you're, in, you're, in, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You will die. You will die of hunger. They didn't have programs. They didn't have food stamps back then. There weren't food pantries. There wasn't reserves. There weren't, it wasn't like people had money to be able or had, had food to be able to provide for you as well. Everybody was scratching for a living. So, again, it's relative, even though we know the definition of the word, you have to understand at that time people needed to prepare for famines. They needed to prepare for famines. They needed to understand that you need to put things away to be able to provide for the later. People that grew up on farms knew that when the season was good and harvest came, you had to be able to save some for the winter because there was no winter harvest. You had the harvest came in the fall. And the stuff you can, the stuff you put away, why do they call it canning, by the way, when it goes into jars? Some of it originally. Was it a can? Literally. Was canned? Because my grandmother used to can vegetables and tomatoes and corn and all kinds of things. That was just something that she did. And I couldn't figure it out because it was all these mason jars. All these jars. But they, they didn't have pig pods. They didn't have pig pods. They had nothing at all. There were a lot of people that died from those things. Yeah. The, the, the other part about this wasteful living is remember the source of his funds. These were almost ill-gotten gains. Um, the... In the Bible, in fact, I found the scripture verse. I mean, the, the Bible is very clear about how land and property was to be passed down. In, in Deuteronomy 21, it says, um, uh, And he, meaning the father, must acknowledge the son of his unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. The son is the first sign of the father's strength. That son is the first sign of the father's strength. 
So there was a very deliberate process on how people were supposed to get. In fact, you probably know of people that have inherited some money. You know, the, 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 the father and the, and the mother save up money and, and live carefully, and next thing you know, somebody <laughs> inherits it. But if they get the money too young, or even when they're older, if they're foolish, there goes the money. It's like, are you kidding? It took them 70 years to be able to save that money, to be able to give it to you, and you blew it in two or three days. There's, there's stories, there's lots of stories, they're very easy to find, of people that have won the lottery. You know, you win the lottery. Now, if you don't play, you can't win, okay? That's what I've, that's what I've been told. But Why was it going there? Was, yeah, we don't, was we don't, something that he wasn't happy with at home that he wanted to be lost? Well, that could be. You could speculate. Remember, these are, these are parables, so they're stories. They're fictional stories. So they're stories. So we, we just we see a picture. It's like taking a, a picture by a camera of a, of a point in time. Uh, but we can relate. I think, I think the reason some of that story isn't filled in is because it allows us to relate to it in so many different ways. Um, I, like I said, I know, of, I know of friends that their parents had businesses. And the parent was very disappointed when the son or the daughter decided not to go into the business and go and do something different. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be careful. Yeah, well, we'll we'll get back because we're, we're gonna find the the lesson. He's still learning lessons, okay? And then we're gonna have to close because we're already out of time. So it says this. It says that he was in want. Then he went. He's see, he's smart. See, he's he's always thinking a way to go. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, where he sent him into the fields to, to, to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. So again, unless you understand the language and what's going on, by joining himself to a citizen of that country, met a couple things. Number one, he was outside of the Israel area because it's talking about a different country. By joining himself to a citizen meant that he was selling himself into an indentured role of some kind. He was not just a hired hand. He was below that. He was the lowest of the low. As Pastor Hal said, I mean... If he is feeding the pigs, you can't get much lower than that. You, you really can't get much lower than feeding slop to pigs. And it says he would have been happy to eat some of that, but even, even that he wasn't getting. Even that he wasn't getting. So he's learning, just like Hal learned the lesson by going to the amusement park. Uh, he's, he's learning. So we'll pick it up next week because we're going to find out what he learns, what the father's response is, and then next week, we'll try to get also to the older son's response. Because there are three people in this parable. Remember, when you look at the parable, you always look at the kingdom of God, because these parables are about the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God operates. And we try to look for the figures and try to find the Christ figure. We haven't come to him yet, but we will next week. So let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this story. We thank you, Lord, because there's so much we can learn. There's so much we can learn from these parables. That's why we teach them. That's why you've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.